got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, for those of you that are wondering, Pastor Joe is back. He did not get arrested in Thailand. But it wasn't because he didn't try in Bangkok, apparently. So, uh, But he's back recovering from his 40 hours of travel home from, uh, from Thailand. So he'll be back next week in the pulpit. In the meantime, let me ask you a question. Online, Deland, uh, Benel here in Ormond. How many of you have played this, have been a part of this scenario? Somebody you're with, somebody you're around, somebody you're in a relationship with does something that you think is incredibly stupid and they think it's not. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's a pretty familiar scenario, right? I mean, how many arguments have actually happened in relationships because of that, right? Uh, you know, yesterday we had our, our five-year-old grandson, he spent the night with us, and he was, there was a little bit of trouble in the house yesterday morning. And the trouble existed between one adult and a five-year-old right, that at one point in time, the adult said to the five-year-old, who's in charge? To which the five-year-old replied, you are, but then turned his head and walked away and said, but you not, right? <laughs> he thought that was wise. I thought that was stupid, right? You know, listen, it's an incredibly, listen, it's an inc incredibly familiar concept, right? How many things are we divided on, not because of preference, but because one person thinks this is a good idea and one think, person thinks this is a bad idea. I mean, it happens in, in a multitude of ways. I mean, we're split over, not just split over things, but we actually take sides as to what is smart and what is not. I mean, listen, the biggest divide in our nation right now is to whether to root for the Kansas City Chiefs because of Taylor Swift or not, all right? I mean, there are people who think that's incredibly wise and there are people who think that's stupid. Go Lions, right? Yeah. But today's text is about that concept. It's about the concept between what one group thinks is wise and smart and one group that thinks it's foolish, right? So I'm gonna ask you to stand in all of our campuses. We're gonna read these verses together. 1 Corinthians chapter one, we're gonna start in verse 18. Paul says the message, everybody across their campus say the word message, right? It's not the cross, it's not the cross. It's the message of the cross that is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man and where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher and the Greek debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom or its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks, they look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, 
both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You can have a seat. What's wise and what's not, right? There's a clear divide here, right, between these two groups of people. There's a group of people that believe that this this cross, this message of the cross is foolish. In the Greek, that word foolish is the word moranos, which we get our word moron from, right? So what he says is, there are a group of people that believe that the message of the cross is moronic. And he says, but to those who are being saved, if you're saved across our campuses today and online, let me hear you say amen. He said, to those of us who are being saved, the message of the cross is powerful. In the Greek, that is the Greek word dunamos, which is translated for us as dynamite, but it's also translated in the scripture as miraculous. So there's a group of people who think that the message of the cross is moronic, and there's a group of people that think the message of the cross is miraculous. Why the divide? Well, let's ask two questions about this text, right? What is the message of the cross? Right, what is the message of the cross? Listen, debates, debates, and debates happen all the time whether churches should have crosses or not, right? Should there be a cross? Should there not be a cross? Should the cross be on the steeple? Should it be on the front? Should it always be on the stage, right? All these debates about this thing that we make that we make that looks nothing like what Jesus hung on, we debate it. We put it on necklaces, T-shirts, we buy plaques at Hobby Lobby with it on it, we celebrate that thing. And yet scripture says the debate is not over the cross. Listen, there are tons of non-Christian athletes who wear crosses around their neck, right? All the time, most of them play for the Cardinals, right? They wear those crosses, they hit a home run, they kiss their lips, their chest, and then they point to God. Have nothing to do with Jesus. The cross is not a stumbling block, right? It's not a stumbling block, but the message? Paul says the message, that Greek word logos there, means the conversation that ends all conversations, a debate that will come to a conclusion. He said the conclusion of the cross, that's where people are going to divide. That's the issue. The issue isn't a, isn't a piece of wood that we fashion together in 2024 and stick on our steeple or our wall or on our platform. The message of the cross is where people find the rub. So what is the message of the cross? Let's ask that question today. What is the message of the cross? Listen to these verses. Philippians 2 says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, this wasn't Jesus, right, not being God, but being close to God, right, this is Jesus being God, he didn't consider that position something to be grasped or held onto, but Jesus made himself, right, he made himself nothing. That Greek word, that word right there, nothing, is one of the harshest criticisms in all of the Greek language. It means to basically mean that you never have been. Right, You are so insignificant that you never even exist. As Jesus said, he made himself that way. He took the nature of a servant or a slave being made in human likeness. Check this out. And being found as appearance as a man, here's what he did. He humbled himself 
and he became obedient to death. All campuses, read this with me. Even death on a cross. What is the message of the cross? Well, first and foremost, the message is, isn't simple. This isn't something easy for him to do. We're not talking about, you know, just slipping from one step down to another, right? This isn't somebody who works somewhere in a cubicle and we move him from that cubicle to this cubicle. We're talking about God in the very nature God decided that the role of God, the position of God, the authority of God wasn't something to hold on to, so I'm gonna become like one of them and when I get there as God, I'm gonna become nothing with a humble attitude, obey God to the point that it leads me to dying on the cross for those people. I don't know about you, but I think the message of the cross is miraculous, amen? I mean, that's a significant thing. We, listen. I mean, think about it, church, right? All of our campuses online. I mean, how many of us, how many of us are willing, are willing to humble ourselves to people who we don't even like, who don't even like us? I mean, think about how hard it is to humble yourself to people that you love. We are by nature selfish people. Can I get a yes, right? We struggle with being humble and then actually in our humility, obeying and doing what our humility would suggest we do, we struggle with that with people we like. Imagine trying to do that for people that don't like you at all. And Jesus did that, why? Because the message of the cross isn't simple. This was a huge step for him. Listen to what Colossians says about the message of the cross. He says, God, say it with me church, was what? Man, he was pleased. So get a picture, get a picture of yourself and think to yourself what pleases you, right? What pleases you, right? God was pleased. Well, what pleased him? That all the fullness, right, all God's fullness dwelt in Jesus. Okay, well that makes sense, right? What else pleased him? This pleased God, that through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and guess how he did it? By making peace through his blood all of our campuses, say it with me, shed on the cross. Not only is the message of the cross unbelievably not simple, it was a staggering, a staggering response to our need, what Jesus did. The message of the cross pleased God. This was his plan. This is what he wanted, right? This was God's entire desire in redeeming mankind was that Jesus would die on the cross for you. So scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not only did he give us Jesus on the cross, it pleased him that Jesus would do that for you. I don't know about you, but I think the message of the cross is amazing. Amen, church? I mean, how much love, I mean, just think about it from a human perspective. Where's your limit? Where's your limit and what you'll do because of what you, how much you love somebody? We have limits, we draw them all the time, right? There are all kinds of limits we have, even when we say to somebody, I love you, right? God loved us so much, it pleased him that this person, this incarnate person who carried all the fullness of God with him, it pleased God to make peace through his blood shed on the cross. Hebrews 9.22 says this, in fact, the law requires nearly everything to be cleansed with the blood, he says, with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God had to 
to forgive us our sin. Listen, we know this. You know this online, Deland, Banal, right? You know this here in Norman. We've said it a million times. Everybody, everybody knows this. How many times or have you ever been confronted with what you know is the right thing to do and still not done it? How many of you? Okay, 12 of you. I hope the responses at the campuses were better, right? And how many of you, maybe, maybe this is a better question for this group, how many of you have known the wrong thing to do and done it? Okay, that's better, right? Listen, never met anybody that said they were perfect. They, they know they're not. They may not agree that there's a God that they're accountable to, but I don't know anybody that thinks they're perfect. I know lots of people that are, act like they are, but we, they know they're not. Listen, there's an issue that we have, it's called our sin problem, and God decided to deal with it through the death of his son on the cross, and it pleased him to do that, right? Romans five says this, Paul writes, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, he says, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life, right? The cross is amazing. The message of the cross is an amazing thing. Check this one out, this is my favorite. Colossians 2 says this, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, everybody here online at our campuses, how many of you can remember before you became a Christian, right? He said, when you were in this condition, so track with me in your mind, right? When you were in the condition of not knowing Jesus, God stepped in, made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Anybody grateful for that? Say amen, right? He forgave us, but how did he do it? He canceled, right? That word means to smear or to whitewash. He said he canceled the written code in the Greek. That is a legal document. He took a legal document of your debt and mine. And the Bible says with all of its regulations, right? Guess what he did? Those things were against us instead of opposed to us. He took that document and he nailed it where? To the cross. Your debt, check this out, church, Right? If you're new here in Ormond, Benel, Deland, online, you need to hear this. Listen, every person, every person, scripture says, has sinned and no longer, no longer has reached the glory of God. He is here, we are here. That fractured cosmos that we have, scripture says, for the wages, the result, the consequence of our sin is we now die. Somebody made a legal document of that debt and went, hello, this has gotta be paid. The Bible says God took that document, your document, right? If you're here today and don't know Jesus, if you're online and don't know Jesus, Benel, Delanda don't know Jesus, the Bible says your written document of your debt was taken by God, nailed to the cross when Jesus was placed there, and check out what happened. The Bible says when he did that, he disarmed all of those powers and all of those authorities, and he made a public spectacle of those forces when he nailed your debt to the cross, and he triumphed over them by the cross. Anybody think the message of the cross is amazing? Listen, your debt, your debt. Everybody say my debt. My debt, your debt, all of it nailed to the cross by God, disarmed all those forces that were against you. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. He says this, since children have flesh and blood, that's me and you, 
Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy. That Greek word for destroy, the, our, our translation doesn't even come close to translating the word. It is something to be utterly wiped out, to be completely obliterated. The Bible says his death, Jesus' death, utterly destroyed him. We're looking for a person who holds the power of death. Somebody's got your debt. That is who, church? The devil. So the devil owns your, owns your paper, just like Bank of America or Chase, right? Or Wells Fargo or whoever. There's a piece of paper. You've got a debt. And Jesus said, let me have it. He took it to the cross and he nailed it there. And when he did it, he disarmed every authority against you. And not only did he free you from the authority of those folks, the Bible said he also destroyed, utterly wiped out the person that held it. That's the devil. Listen, let's be clear, church. If you know Jesus, let me hear you say amen. amen. The Bible says Satan has absolutely no power and authority over you. Can somebody say amen? Let's stop acting as if somehow in the spiritual realm, those of us who know Jesus are somehow, somehow still afraid of this entity when he has been utterly destroyed. Satan has one weapon, one weapon, one weapon only, and his weapon is to lie to you. It's the only thing he can do now because he has no authority, he has no paperwork, he has no debt, because thankfully God, through Jesus on the cross, nailed it there and wiped it free forever somebody say, thank you, Jesus, right? That's us, that's us, right? We give Satan all this credit. Oh, Satan, he's doing this, and oh, Satan, he's doing that, and Satan, he's doing that. Do you realize that the Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Somebody say amen. Listen, all you gotta do is speak that truth. The Bible says that the demons flee at the name of Jesus, right? You, you, blood-bought, Brothers and sisters of Christ have no debt anymore. There is no authority. Why? Because the message of the cross is miraculous. Somebody say amen, right? The Bible says, 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we could die to those sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds we have been healed. Listen, you've been freed now to live the life that God intends you to live, has always intended you to live in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the message of the cross is absolutely amazing. Hebrews chapter two, verse nine says this. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, check this out, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Maybe you're new here today. Maybe you're doing Benel Deland online. You need to know this. Jesus died for you. He died for you and he didn't just die for you. He died for you so that your debt could be paid, wiped out, removed, and if you don't know Jesus today, here in Ormond, Benel, DeLand, online, listen, we wanna make that invitation to you. If you're here and you, you need to make that decision today, listen, we don't wanna leave without offering that invitation. We've got a group of people in a place called Guidance Point out in the hallway that would be glad to talk to you and answer your questions and show you how simply free the gift of God is in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're in Benel, find Pastor Kyle. If you're in DeLand, Pastor Aaron. If you're online, Pastor John and his team will be grateful to him 
hit that button, I have decided, and you can make that decision. But for those of us that know Jesus, Jesus tasted death for who? Everyone. Everyone. So what is the message of the cross? Hebrews sums it up pretty good in my mind. In verse 10 of chapter 10, he writes this, and by that will, God's will, that it pleased him that Jesus would die, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. Everybody say this, once for all. Once for all. Keep that with you. Day after day, priests stand, perform their religious duties. What are they doing? The Bible says again and again, that priest is offering sacrifices, the same sacrifices. Here's a turtle dove, here's a pigeon, here's a bull, here's a ram, right? Always and always and always. Those sacrifices can't take away your sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time, everybody say all time, for all time, one sacrifice for sins, all of those sins, each and every sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. You don't sit down till your work's done, amen, church? Jesus sacrificed once for all time, for all sins, and then he sat down. Now, check out. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Let's just throw this in here as an addendum. Benel, Deland, Online, Ormond. Listen, we got no reason to panic. We got no reason to panic. Listen, our nation feels like it's falling apart. Does anybody agree with me? Listen, we, we wanna panic, we wanna fight. We wanna find these enemies and we wanna attack. Listen, scripture says this. Jesus is simply waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's just picking out fabric, folks, right? We haven't gotta panic. Man, but you look at the landscape of the church, we're panicked. We're on high alert, DEFCOM, Whatever the one is the worst, right? We're on it. Listen, Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Is anybody else grateful for that? Listen, these people aren't gonna get away with anything, right? That's all under control. Meanwhile, he says this about you and me. Because by one sacrifice, Jesus has made, not is making, has made. So everybody, everybody say this word. Perfect. How many of you think that you're perfect? Okay, good, thank you. Saturday night crowd was like. <laughs> right, right. Listen, we don't think we're perfect because listen, you know, you know as well as I do. Some of you in Benel, the land online here in Norman, some of you are at church in spite of the fact that you know last night you were far from perfect, right? We know that we're not perfect. But the Bible says, by one sacrifice, Jesus, everybody say those three words with me, has made perfect, now add this one, ever. Listen, one of the biggest struggles of churches is people keep walking around beating themselves up all the time about the fact that they're not perfect. But do you know that in Jesus, you have been made perfect forever? Why? Because the message of the cross is amazing. Somebody say amen, right? That sacrifice made you perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Listen, the blessing of the cross is this, that in Jesus, all those sinners, right, although fractured from God's glory and perfection, Jesus crossed that fractured cosmos, took our sins, its paperwork, nailed it to the cross, destroyed the devil in the meantime, freed you from all of that spiritual authority, and said, now, you've been made forever. You've been made forever perfect. 
Go live your life in righteousness. Is anybody else grateful for that? Somebody say amen. That's your life. And yet how many of us spend all day and all night and every week and every month and every year beating ourselves up for the same thing because we can't get past it? Listen, part of the problem is you've told yourself this and you're living at the level of the words that you speak. There is the power of life and death in the tongue. So if you say, I have been made perfect forever through Jesus, are you saying a truth? Somebody say yes. And you know what happens when you speak those truths? The Bible says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Listen, part of our problem is we speak these things that aren't true. Everybody already knows you're not perfect. You ain't gotta tell anybody. God knows you're not perfect. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you. That's why God was pleased for it. Now that you've received Jesus, can you please, for the love of God and the truth of Scripture, believe that God has made you perfect forever through Jesus Christ our Lord? Somebody say, yes, I will, right? That's who we are. But here's the thing. There are billions of people that still think that message is moronic. I think it's miraculous. Anybody else? The Bible says there are billions of people that would say it's moronic. So here's my second question, right? Two points, we're already on point two, you guys are home free, right? Where is the crossroads between me, you, and me, and this message of the cross? Because at some point, this miraculous turns moronic for billions of people. Where, where does that happen? Why is there such an intersection where this thing, listen, there's nobody in the world that wouldn't be grateful to be free from the bondage of the stupid choices they make, right? Everybody wants to be free from that, right? Everybody wants to be free from that, and yet everybody through Jesus can be, and yet some people think the message of the cross is just simply foolishness. It's just moronic. So where's the intersection? Listen to what Paul says. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message, right, of the cross is moronic to those who are what? Perishing. So we know they're standing, right? They're outside of Christ. But to those who are being saved, right, this cross, the message of it, is the power of God. You see, Jews are demanding miraculous signs. In the Greek, that is dunamis. You see, the Jews wanted power. Why? Because they were sick of Rome. And the prophets that they had read had told them of a kingdom that was coming, right? A kingdom where Israel would reign, right? Where they would no longer be under authority. They wanted that kingdom and their Messiah needed to be powerful, miraculous. They didn't need a Galilean carper, carpenter who had a stepdad right, named Joseph, and a God name, or a father named God, right, dying on a cross for them in Jerusalem, right, at the hands of the Roman Empire, the very empire they wanted to defeat, and believe for a second he was the Messiah. The Greeks, meanwhile, looked for wisdom, Sophia. They wanted wisdom. They wanted knowledge. They thought the only way to attain to a spiritual existence, a higher calling, was through education and wisdom, which is why they spent all day long talking about all of these things. But check this out. We preach Christ what? Crucified. Because the message of the cross is amazing, church. Amen? So we preach that message. That message is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God's called, Jews and Gentiles or Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There is a moment, there is a moment where the message is received by some as miraculous and by some as moronic. So where is that intersection? 
He quotes a verse in verse 19 that just sort of gets thrown in there, right? He quotes this verse from Isaiah 29 and it says this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. He throws that in there. That's a quote from Isaiah 29. So I went back and looked at Isaiah 29 and I wanna read a few of those verses to you so you can see it in context, right? So that you can understand where is this intersection? Because how many of you in Benel, Deland, online in Norman have ever talked to somebody about Jesus with all the excitement and passion you have and they, they went, eh, I'm not interested. Anybody? Anybody get frustrated with that, right? Of course you do, because you think Jesus is the most amazing thing in the world. Can I get an amen? You tell them about Jesus, they're like, eh. Because what they're thinking is it's moronic. So how do you love it so much and they have no interest in it? Listen to what Isaiah says. He's talking to Jerusalem. 700 plus years before Paul quotes him, he writes this. Be stunned and amazed. Blind yourselves and be sightless. Be drunk, but not from wine. Stagger, but not from beer. The Lord has brought over you a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. He says, and if I give the scroll to a person who can read and say to this person, read this please, that person's gonna say, I can't, it's sealed. But if I take this scroll and give it to someone who cannot read, and I say to this person, read this please, that person's gonna say, I don't know how to read. The Lord says, these people, these people simply come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Listen to this. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. This is the text in which Isaiah or Paul now quotes. The wisdom of the wise will perish and the intelligence of the intelligence will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think these things. Who's gonna see us? Who's gonna know? He said, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Tell me if this isn't like the nation that we live in today. Shall what is formed, us, say to him who formed it, God, he did not make me. Sound familiar? Yeah, listen to this. Can the pot, the thing made, say of the potter, the thing that made it, he knows nothing. Do you think that's happening in our nation today? Of course it is, of course it is. Let me tell you about Joyce Carol Oates. Let me show you a picture. This is Joyce Carol Oates, she's a famous author. Anybody in here familiar with her, Benel Deland, read her books? All right, all right. She's a famous author, take my word for it. She's a Pulitzer, uh, Pulitzer Prize finalist multiple times, right? Well, she was in the news recently because of a little Twitter or X exchange. I, I, I don't have Twitter or X, right? But I still can't call it X, right? I don't even know what that means, right? But she got into a little bit of a, a, a Twitter battle with somebody the other day and it made national news, right? There was a guy on on Twitter, X, who was talking about the mistreatment or the alleged mistreatment of an Alabama inmate. He talked about this Alabama inmate, right? And he said these words in one of his tweets. He said, widows, orphans, prisoners. Hang on just a second. 
I was reading the wrong one. Widows, orphans, and prisoners. No Christian can, without doing great violence to scripture, get around the, ter- or the extremely clear obligation we have to such people. To which Joyce Carol Oates responded and said, widows, orphans, prisoners, question mark. Really? These entirely disparate categories have something in common? To which another person on X tweeted, read your Bible, to which she responded like this. The Bible, as you call it, is a work of fiction, or rather, it's simply an anthology of fictions. It's not, right, it's not the Bible for much of the world's population, and those who claim it as their own select those verses that appeal to them with ignoring other verses. It becomes fertile ground for hypocrisy. Sounds just like what Isaiah said, right? Can the thing formed say of the thing that formed it, you know nothing? Billions of people like Joyce Carol Oates think this is moronic. And I wanna know where that intersection is between I think it's miraculous and people like Joyce Carol Oates think it's moronic. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He said this, Jesus said to his disciples, if you wanna come after me, if you wanna follow me, right? If you're in here, online, Deland, Banal, and you wanna follow Jesus, let me hear you say amen. Here's the script, it's pretty simple, right? Three steps, deny yourself, right? That means similar to what Jesus said when he said he made himself nothing, but not as harsh, right? You can't do this. You have to remove you from the equation. It's not me plus something else equals salvation. You have to deny you in the equation. So whatever the equation is that gets you rescued, that gets you saved, you can't be in it. So you gotta deny yourself, check, right? Check church, we would, we would agree with that, yes. But the second thing he says is, and what? Take up your, now when you write that in the first century, take up your cross, what's the one word, the only word that comes to mind when the Jewish people hear the word cross? Death. Death, the most horrific, the most humiliating form of death in the Roman world was crucifixion. And nobody wore a crucifix around their neck. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even allowed to be talked about in polite society because it was that, it was that humiliating, that degrading. Nobody, it would be like us walking around with necklaces of electric chairs, right? How absurd would that be? That is exactly what it would feel like to anybody when Jesus said, don't put yourself in the equation to be saved. Instead, you take up your cross, meaning you die to who? You die to me, and then you could follow me. See, part of the reason why some of us struggle to follow Jesus is because we're failing in one of those two steps. We don't wanna take ourselves out, or we just don't wanna die to ourselves. It's hard to follow Jesus if you don't discount your own ability and you don't die to yourself. It's hard to follow Jesus, because he says, for whoever wants to rescue their life, if your goal is to save yourself, you're gonna lose it. That word in the Greek means to utterly destroy. Right, you're gonna destroy it. But whoever is willing to destroy their life first, the Bible says, for, for destroy his life for Jesus, they're gonna what? They're gonna find it. 
So there's this, there's this intersection right there, right? And here's the intersection. Online, Deland, Bunnell, Orman, hear me. Here's the intersection. I'm in it. And this message is either moronic or this message is foolish. And here's my choice. I either count on me and I don't remove me from the equation and refuse to die, or I do deny that I can save myself. I do die. I do die to myself and I follow Jesus. One leads to moronic and one leads to miraculous. Jesus said this, or Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter four. If our gospel is veiled or covered, it's veiled or covered to those who are perishing. Makes sense, right? How many of you love the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let me hear you say amen. How many of you talk to people about the gospel and they're like, have no interest, right? You know that. How? Because the Bible says it's veiled to them. It's veiled. It's covered. Check this out. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. You know what Jesus, what, what Isaiah wrote? God's, God's going to, look at that. I'm, I'm on my next to last verse and the timer went off. You guys are in good shape, right? God said through the prophet Isaiah, I'm going to put a stupor on them. I, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Well, God has clearly enlisted Satan to carry this out. Can you bring that verse back up? Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So that spouse, that child, that grandchild, that friend, that family member that you've talked to about this amazing thing that you love that they have no interest in, there's a reason for it. It's not because they're dumb. It's not because they're morons. It's because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. You see what's going on here, right? There's a spiritual fight. Satan has no interest in losing these people to worship God because he wants them to worship him. So he has blinded the minds of these unbelievers because God, according to Paul and according to Isaiah, is acting this out, right? So you see it, you love it, they don't see it because Satan's at work blinding these people. But check this out, church. He says this, they are blinded so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And I want everybody in all of our campuses and online here in Ormond, I want everybody to read this with me because we could talk about the intersection. We can label morons and miraculous all we want, but the church, we say, exists to make it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Can somebody say amen? So what do we do with this? Here's what he said. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. He says, we preach Christ crucified. Anybody good with that? Everybody good with Jesus being preached as crucified? Let me hear you say amen, right? We already know that there are people who love the message of the cross and there are people that think it's dumb. And we already know where the intersection's at. It's people who are willing to die to themselves to count themselves as nothing and lean completely on Jesus that allows them to be saved. Because for those who wanna save themselves, they're gonna be destroyed. For those who are willing to allow themselves to be destroyed here, they're gonna be rescued. 
But here's what's happening in this world where there are people who think it's moronic and people who think it's miraculous. The people who think it's moronic, the God of this age has blinded them to where they can't see the light of the glory of the gospel. And so guess what scripture says? Scripture says we preach Christ and we preach this. But now, Deland, online, Ormond, get this. We preach, the Bible says, ourselves. Everybody say me. We preach me as your servant. Who's the your? The your is those who have been blinded by the God of this age. You see, what's happened over the last decade in churches is we've decided to attack the morons. We've decided to go after them. We've decided that what we should be doing is posting on X, posting on Facebook, posting on Instagram. We've decided that the pulpit, the pulpit should no longer be used to preach Christ crucified, but instead we preach a political agenda because God forbid there's something more important. And scripture says our message should be we are here to be the servants of the blind. Why? Because Paul says this. He says in the very next verse, God who said let light shine out of darkness did this. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So guess what he did? He allowed the morons to be around you and me because the light of the gospel is in me and you. So how does those who are blinded see the light of the gospel? They see it in the person who's willing to be their servant the person who's willing to serve in the food pantry, the person who's willing to stop spitting all the vitriol and all the hate toward all these people that we disagree with. The Bible says we preach Christ crucified, but that's not enough. We have to preach to the church that our job is to be the servants of those who have been blinded by the God of the sage. Why? Because the light of the glory of the gospel lives in me and in you. And how are the blind ever gonna see? They're only gonna see it when you show it to them. And how are you gonna show it to them if you hate all the people that don't know Jesus? Listen, I love the Church of Jesus Christ. I love it. I've loved it for four decades. I love the church. But I think we've lost sight of the goal over the last decade. I think we have forgotten that the goal is to help people know Jesus. And we've decided there's something more important to fight for. I don't know about you, but I have grandchildren and I have family members and friends that don't know Jesus. And I don't want them to go to hell. And I'm sure that you have people that you love that you don't want to go to hell. Well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? If you happen to work with one of my family members and you know Jesus and they're blinded by the God of this age, and you decide that you just wanna be angry, you wanna be mad, how is my family member gonna see the light of the gospel in you? Because he may not put me around them, he may put you around them. Listen, I want Ormond to know Jesus, I want Volusia County to know Jesus, I want our state and our nation to be under God's authority. We're never gonna get there until we learn to preach Christ crucified and ourselves as servants, their servants, because the light of the gospel lives in us. Listen, I've done this long enough to know that some of you are like, man, I can't wait for Joe to get back. I'm sick of this guy, right? <laughs> Give me some archeology, span right? Give me a stupid joke, because he's got a couple of them, I promise you, right? <laughs> but listen, I, 
only care about one thing. I only care about one thing. Because God's already told me he's destroying everything here. I only care that people find their way into heaven. And I just know that we've got a big task in front of us, church. People are flocking to churches. I can't even begin to tell you how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of visitors are coming through these campuses of ours, blinded by the God of this age. It's up to us. It's up to us to show them the light of the glory of gospel. So at that intersection between moronic and miraculous, they choose the miraculous.